Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, June 4th. The way you end a sentence or a paragraph is important. When reading aloud, don't lower your voice on approaching the end of a thought. When writing, don't end a sentence weakly, end on a note of power. When lecturing, end with a downbeat, end with a punchline. In classical drama, the climax at the end of a play was followed by a brief anticlimax. Good. The anticlimax gave audiences time to relax and absorb what they had experienced. Building toward that climax, however, required a gradual increase of tension, not an increase of anticlimaxes. This is the easiest to see when people are reading aloud, which is very interesting. Of course, in most people's lives, or in many people's lives, you don't often read aloud. I, as part of our Sunday satsang, our Sunday service, um, there's several different p- places where people read aloud. And um, it's always interesting to me. So the way Swamiji put it is when people are reading aloud, you know, often your eyes are a little bit ahead of you. So you see that you're toward the end of the sentence. He says, you're like a horse sort of seeing the stable and you just kind of feel like you're home already before you get there. And surprisingly, and it's very interesting to listen, and if you're ever in a position to read aloud, notice, people just let their energy die at the end, whatever it is. You know, what you're saying is, when reading aloud, don't lower your voice on approaching the end of a thought. When writing, don't end a sentence weakly, end on a note of power. People just do it constantly. Swamiji writes with strong endings. And so when you're reading Swamiji's writings aloud, which a lot of is what people are reading on our Sunday mornings, it just absolutely drives me crazy. I finally said to someone who had that habit, he was also a singer, I said, do you actually, like, you sing the same to the end of the line. Why do you stop reading before the line is over? It's just some sort of quitting before it's, it's finished. It, it sounds like a, a small thing. There are people who also talk that way, who, who, who have energy for the first part of their thought, and then they just kind of let it drift. You know, it's like, I think we, we went to the store, and it was a really nice ex- experience. It, it's, it's a very common habit that people have, and it's, it's let, me try to, let me try to think about this. Our character is revealed in small ways, and big changes can be, can be created by paying attention to small things. So pay attention just to your ordinary speech, what to, what to speak of anything that you might be reading aloud, but just in your ordinary speech. Do you remain committed to the end of your thought? Or do you start with a burst and then just kind of let your energy peter out? Swamiji was talking about creativity uh, because he himself is a, a, was an, a prodigiously creative person in in, in several different arenas, primarily music and writing, but additionally in photography and a little bit in architecture. And he was a, a very gifted administrator and leader and counselor and many things. He was an extraordinary person. But he, um, he, he, 
he received the inspiration for his music. He, he, he heard the melodies, or, and then he would, he would get the songs, he would get the poetry. And he commented that one of, the, one of the, the reasons that the work he did was so good is that he was able to sustain the energy all the way through. He said, it's surprising how often people will get a really good inspiration, and he spoke specifically of music. They'll get a, a hauntingly beautiful beginning line for the song. And the song may even turn out to be a blockbuster success, but it's a success because of that first line. But it's, he said, it's not as if the, the composer wouldn't, wasn't capable of, of being inspired all the way through, but there was an inclination to let the energy drop. Here's a really interesting example of that. Um, there's the, a poem by St. Francis where, it, where he talks about brother sun and sister moon and brother fire and sister water. And he talks about all the divine attributes of things in the natural world. We take that somewhat for granted, but at the time that Francis wrote, it was a, a, rev, a revelation to think about God being present in the natural world. So he wrote this beautiful poem of, about nature. But it wasn't a song, it was a poem. Or at least the melody, Francis's melody. This, well, this story may tell you that Francis did have a melody for it, but the melody wasn't a pass down. It was just passed down as the words. And so Swamiji always wanted to write a melody for that song. He, he actually had um, the, the poem in the in the Italian, the original Italian even, sort of an older version of Italian, which Swami spoke fluently. I don't speak, so I can't say it. Um, and he, he kept really wanting to write a melody for that song. And then one day he prayed deeply to St. Francis, and he had a vision of Francis. Or Yes, he had a vision of Francis, or he had an... How would Swami have said it? Yeah, I guess vision is sort of the right word. That, that overstates it a little because Swami would just say it more yeah, he said he saw St. Francis and he heard him sing. He saw Francis at the end of his life when Francis was very ill, leaning against a tree, which is when this song was written, because the, Francis was at the end of his life and the last aspect of, of the natural world that Francis sings to is sister death, because it was right at the end of his life. Brother, son, and sister moon are the lines that are mostly known. But... Uh, he said he, he saw Francis standing against the tree went toward the end of his life when he was blind or nearly blind, and he was singing. He was singing this poem, and so Swami heard the melody, and he wrote it down. And it's a beautiful melody. I wish I were capable of singing it for you. I can't. Um, but here's something really interesting. There was a folk singer who was very well known at the time. His name was Donovan. And there was actually a movie made about St. Francis also, and I think Donovan wrote the song for the movie. The movie was about Francis, and it was called Brother, Son, Sister, Moon. And Donovan also wrote a melody for, for that poem. He wrote it for the English version of it. The first line that Donovan wrote is exactly the same as the first line that Swami wrote. But then Donovan's song becomes predictable, is the only way I can say it. It's just like it becomes, you know what, you know what the next note is going to be, even if you don't know the song, because it's just predictable. And Swami, what was very interesting, Swami's comment was that we both received the same inspiration, but Swami said, I had the energy to sustain the inspiration, and Donovan wasn't able to continue at that same level. Now, that's a subjective statement, but it was, it was um, 
verified by the melodies themselves. Um, so what I'm talking about is sustaining energy is also fundamental to our ability to succeed in life, to set a goal and to, to make it happen. I remember doing a home repair project, putting curtain rods up in my house. I'm completely inept at stuff like that. And for some weird reason, I just decided to do it myself. And I struggled with it for several weeks. Finally got the curtain rods up on all the windows I wanted them up on. Some of them were a little askew, but nonetheless, they were all there. And it was an extremely important spiritual experience for me because I learned that we can accomplish anything by the patient application of willpower. And so I just kept doing it wrong. I had to take them down. I had to learn how to fill in the holes that I'd made in the wall. I had to learn how to patch it up with the sticky stuff. And then I had to paint it over. Then I had to do it again. But all I had to do was just, just persevere. I just had to not let my energy drop. And so what Swamiji is talking about here is not letting our energy drop, but finishing what we're doing with the same energy that we began. Instead of feeling that if I launch it, it's enough. You know, it, it, that, that's a characteristic of a lot of us. I remember being a little child. I was quite small. I don't know, maybe three or four at the most. And I had this toy shelf. In memory, this toy shelf is, you know, half the size of a small car. But, the, I mean, the full, the full length of a small car. I suspect it was a small bookshelf full of toys. But in my mind, because I just didn't have that many toys, <laughs> my parents didn't spoil me like that. So just on the basis of common sense, it couldn't have been that large a shelf. But for some reason, it was disorderly. And I had this inspiration that I was going to make it orderly. And... I decided to just go for the whole thing. So the first thing I did was I pulled everything off and I made a big pile of everything in the middle of the room. And then I lost interest. <laughs> I'd sort of done the part that I was interested in and I went away. My mother came in and saw that I had just disrupted my room completely and she was not inclined to rescue me from that. She wanted me to go back in and finish. And I remember she sat me down um, and she told me that I had to put the, the toys back on the shelf, and I didn't want to do it. And I remember sitting there, you know, in that kind of fake whiny cry that little kids have. <laughs> there's not like enough emotion to really make you weep, but there's enough annoyance that you want people to feel sorry for you and you want to appear to be really unhappy. And then just in you know, like absolute slow motion, I would pick up some little stuffed animal as if it weighed about 25 pounds and I would lift it very slowly and then I would drop it in exhaustion on the shelf and the whole time I would be whimpering like this. You know, my mother, just she just walked out. She wasn't going to buy it at all. And, and I just remember just sort of carrying on this exhausted drama like this. And I'm sure this is the reason I remember it. Then a piece of my mind, another part of my mind said, oh, for heaven's sakes, just put the darn toys on the shelf. You know, it's just like, what is all this? Just do it. And I don't remember actually what I did. I don't remember suddenly coming to life. But somewhere our mother, I must have gotten them back on my shelf because my mother would not have relented until I had. But a lot of times you see that's what we do. We have this habit. There I was as a toddler because children don't know how to dissemble. So I just was making it up. But it was like, oh, I'm so exhausted. I can't do this. This is so hard. Really? It's not really that hard at all. Just do it. 
And so we're always having to sort of work against this, this script that we have in our minds about things versus the just the, the slow, methodical, step-by-step, putting out the energy to make it happen. And, you know, his talking here about pushing to the climax. And the climax we have to keep, we just have to keep pushing until we reach it. And then when we reach it, we can relax and kind of, you know, look back. But we can't just keep stopping before we get there because then the the magnetism will never build for the success. Um, I, I hope that this is clear to you because it's a really interesting and important concept and i'm 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 talking to myself on this also i have i have progressed enormously in this incarnation in my ability to just persevere and in my faith in my ability to persevere which is also a large part of it to just know that if i just keep going i've i've taken on a number of years the project for our elementary school we have this big theater production. We sometimes have as many as 80 children. And every child is on the stage. It's a, it's a huge part of our school curriculum, this th- theater magic, we call it. And so there's 80 children, and there's often duplicate costumes. It can, I mean, a child can have more than one costume, and sometimes several costumes, three or four. So I'll end up with 125 or 30 costumes. I don't sew them. I don't sew them at all much anymore but I assemble them from the closet or I have other people make them, so on like that. But I've done it enough years now, it's very interesting. I'm always standing there at the beginning and there's just kind of this, ah, because it's it's six pretty hairy weeks to get it done. But there's always standing there at the beginning of just like, you know, this is a really big project, I'm going to be really busy. And I, I just sort of, I don't want to start, I don't want to start. But then there's just a moment where you just throw yourself in and you just go. It's just it, everything, no matter how complex it is in the end, is just one step at a time. When I was first trying to write a book, which was 2003, I didn't understand how a book was written. I just thought there isn't a book, then there is a book. And I, I couldn't figure out how to, you know, how to not have a book on Sunday and then to manifest a book on Monday some quirk in my mind. I struggled with it for quite some time. I had some very weird complexes about it. But then the most obvious thing in the world occurred to me that books are written one word at a time. (laughs) And I realized I can write a word and then I can write the word after it and then I can write the word after that and I can write... And I just started writing one word at a time. And after a few weeks I turned behind me and lo, there were a few chapters and then, of course, at the end of it, there was a book. Because each, each piece of it was not difficult. And, and I, I just had to hold on. I just had to keep putting out the energy until I reached the climax and not sort of fall into the anti-climax before I got there. And a the friend of mine said, many people who start to write books don't finish. Oh, I said, I completely understand. <laughs> I completely understand. Fight the battle in every small way. Finish every one of your thoughts. Finish every one of your sentences. Be as emphatic at the end as you are at the beginning. And you find that will be the beginning of changing your life in a thousand other ways. So, Swami says, the way you end a sentence or a paragraph is important. When reading aloud, don't lower your voice on approaching the end of a thought. When writing, don't end a sentence weakly. End on a note of power. 
when lecturing and with a downbeat and with a punchline. In classical drama, the climax at the end of a play was followed by a brief anticlimax. Good. The anticlimax gave audiences time to relax and absorb what they had experienced. Building toward that climax, however, required a gradual increase of tension, not an increase of anticlimaxes. <laughs> Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.